It is time to tune up the band. And who better than Canyon? For it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, alongside Dan and Reardon, as we continue our journey through the wacky world of professional wrestling. Yes, we are still being very proud and very loud, as a matter of fact, about it. <laughs> how are you chaps doing this afternoon? It's all we know how to do. I should it's say literally... mid-morning, shouldn't I? Yes. I uh, mean, yeah, no, don't, don't let them peek too far behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah, uh, due to the, uh, at the time of this recording, it is London Pride. So, and I gotta go. So, you're, you're so... going to be loud as uh, the, 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 the most vocal of us today, Reardon. Yes, it's, yeah. it's going to be nothing but it's, it's braps only in high heels. It's great. Yes. <laughs> I love it. God, God bless this city. God bless my Lovecraftian horror of a city. <laughs> you know what? I've never known of a mo- much more apt description of London. Yeah, it is. It is. It is like a literal Lovecraftian horror, but it is my Lovecraftian horror. Yes, and no one is taking it away from me. Damn right. I would say damn straight, but that's not the. In that, yeah, that, that, we don't do that today. We don't. We, that's no. That, that kind of language is banned. <laughs> <laughs> oh man we give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at soundcloud spotify google podcasts apple podcasts and for ever pending other platforms you know guys who else but the sweet chinwag would be pending this much all the time because we are always pending who better than pending <laughs> who better than pending <laughs> oh so yes well into our Pride Month celebrations, before we get into the episode all about Chris Canyon, it is time to visit Dan for this week's Wrestling News. Dun, 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 dun. Wrestling News. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. i got to get out the tiny bits of energy I still have left. True, true. Yeah, fair, fair. Um... Obviously, when it comes to news, I think the big things that we're going to go over, we're going to do a little recap of Forbidden Door and Blood and Guts and maybe Rampage if we still have time by the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To tell the truth to everyone that's listening right now, I have had very little time to keep up with anything at all. (laughs) So uh, as much as I've hardly had any time to see any wrestling, I'm also going into this week's F1 completely blind. (laughs) (laughs) All I know is that it's at Silverstone. (laughs) What? That's it. I mean, that that raises so many questions and that concerned. I'll have to ask after. I have after, been after, so busy. I'm gonna have to ask about that after the after this. <laughs> what? Oh man, we'll, we'll get we'll get we'll get we'll get to it. But let's start off with uh, Forbidden Door. Uh, for those of us who have seen it, what did we think? Despite the fact that they had insurmountable odds with a whole bunch of injuries, somehow some way they were able to pull out a not bad pay-per-view it was actually yeah. pretty damn good if you ask me yes unfortunately i got stupid busy before i could watch forbidden door <laughs> but from everything i have heard and through and my and like my prediction was right yeah, i was fucking so right. right yeah i knew it knew it called it i called a wrestling thing how about that but yeah <laughs> I heard it was very good. I heard it was very good. Yeah, really I, think, good. I, I generally heard that it was a really, really good, um, uh, a good show. 
at a pretty decent a pretty decent level there were like a few moments that let it down i heard yeah there are a f- there are a few but like you know i mean with what they're dealing with i think i think in terms of the grand scale of what they are trying to do I would say they generally achieved it. I know I have seen the uh, the ratings from Wrestling Observer mm. sent them to me. I have to say, Dave, respectfully, what kind of crack are you smoking? <laughs> and can, um, yeah, I was about to say, can we have some? But I don't really want to know what bloody uh, what freaking. Da- I mean, Dave, if Dave. I wanted to wake up, if I wanted to wake up right now, I'd probably do it, but it wouldn't do me any help. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, I have seen I have seen the scores from there, and I would say maybe on some of them a little bit too high. But mm. you know, I, that that that's just that's just good old Davy Meltman doing his thing. I to be honest, I don't really care. I've watched it for myself. I think generally pretty good. I would probably say about like a seven out of ten overall. Oh, absolutely! It definitely kind is of worth... a, a few a few low spots, but you know what? Like in the in the grand scheme of things, not too bad. I said the biggest um, highlight for me possibly was Sting still at the age of six of sixty two is still jumping <laughs> off of high things, and I fucking love what? it. What was, what's he doing? He jumped he off the jump entrance. Up. He jumped off the no, entrance. I saw, I saw that. I'm, no, I'm telling you, Sting, Sting. I don't even. I was gonna say Perk Sting. Perk <laughs> Sting. Oh no! 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 Like, not now! Not now! That's what it feels like. Oh, it's it's it's. I fucking love it so much. It's so so. Sting's much. on the beans. <laughs> also, I love that Danhausen trolled the Gun Club by doing a doing a version of Ass Band called the Ass Boys. <laughs> because of course he did. It's just like, it just feels like you're there. You just see it. And you're just like, yeah, dude, this is a thing. <laughs> How about Danhausen on an AEW cross New Japan show? Why not? They had Great Okan on this. I mean, <laughs> hey, all right, Great Okan is a fi- might officially be one of the most based wrestlers right now. Okay, it's strange how that how this that man lost his, This man lost his title and then just the day off lost his title and the day after took a picture allegedly with a Japanese porn star. <sighs> allegedly, because that's how I cannot necessarily confirm that. Because that's and how all I have to say roll. is. If I want to know the the situation you're in where you decide that like that's the idea. Yep. Um, any 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 major highlights for you guys? Oh, the the, the triple the three way tag match was amazing. Yeah. Um, great. I the right result if you ask me of FTR winning. If you mm-hmm. ask man, I'll say this right now, and I think a lot of people will agree with me. Dax Harwood is well on his way to becoming wrestler of the year. Oh no, FTR he's, he's is straight, definitely tag he's up. Of the year. He's straight up having a career run right now. How is he becoming a wrestler of the year? But also. Being the, in the tag team of the year, that's again so no. Sure. It's act, it's actually straight up like career year shit. It's incredible to see. I love the All Atlantic Championship match as well. Clark Connors yep. put in an absolute barnstormer of a performance. Pat, I can't lie, probably the best match I've seen from Clark Connors. Yeah, same. I mean, I say that knowing my sample size is like five, but <laughs> Pack deservedly won that one. As I said, dudes with attitude defeating Bullet Club was a highlight of mine purely for Sting still jumping off of high things. Um, I was also happy that it got more people seeing Shingo. 
Exactly. Um, the people talking about the Orange Cassidy Billy Fish Hawks match. Um, yeah. I'll put it to you this way. Um, like uh, Dave, stop overhyping that match, please. Um, it was a great match, but I'm not going to give any plaudits to Billy Fishhawks because that was all Orange Cassidy in that match, if you ask me. <laughs> there, I said it. I honestly think it was all Orange Cassidy that match. I think the thing... It sounds silly when I say this, but I think in a weird way, Cassidy kind of overexposed Will Ospreay. <laughs> I think you're right. Think so? Because it was my favorite, my favorite piece of analysis from the from that match was uh, like Orange Cassidy is showing the biggest flaw in Will Osprey that you can just walk out of the way of most of his stuff. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? <laughs> like I know we talk about suspension of disbelief in wrestling, but like, <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh so much. How much OC had that match, and of course now he's coming out to Jane by Stephenson. Uh, Jefferson Starship, which is quite right. You I know mean, what? I'm, I, I, again, I'm, I'm, I, I know who did it on. He did it on the Indies. Yes, and I don't mind. He... Where is my mind? But there's just something about Jane that fits Cassidy so well. Well, I like, I like, I like the way they've done the presentation, where like it, it hits in. Mm. See, I've always thought, and and I uh, correct me if he's played this before. I always thought it. He should come out to Beck loser. Like, come on. That's perfect for Orange Cassidy. Same. See, yeah, but that, that's what that again. That's what that's what I'd say. Yeah, like, it, why hasn't that happened? <laughs> it's a layup. Exactly. Exactly. Very confusing. Also, very, very confusing. pop of the night. Claudio Castagnoli debuting was yo look right. People like Swiss. We like People. Swiss. People I'm a simple like man. <laughs> yeah, I see Swish. I I I I stand. That's it. I don't it's think over. It's the only the only night I would, I would love to see a Swiss man beating up a guy from Kent. So there you go. Maybe maybe even more. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying. Just you know, to be quite honest, if if someone Swiss is beating up someone from Kent, I'm assuming the the guy from Kent said something. I'm oh, and he did. I'm, oh, I'm, did. I'm, I'm assuming that I'm assuming there's reasoning. Did you see the post-match promo after or hear the post-match promo from Zach after that? No, it's, I didn't. It's tremendous. It was. was it aggressively British? <laughs> yes. I wanted a fucking technical match, and that wasn't a fucking technical match. Oh, next, if you want to see a technical match, I ain't ever come in the UK or fucking America ever again. Now, piss off. <laughs> it was aggressively Kent. Perfect. Aggressively Kent. Perfect. Perfect. The only thing he was missing is that he didn't say that he didn't say something like that. Snock. <laughs> True. Um, Moxley versus Tano as well was a really great main event. If you ask. Yeah. Me. Mm. Uh, Moxley won, which yeah. Again, a little surprise. I thought, honestly thought they would have gone with Tano on that one, but mm-hmm. makes sense. Love to see Moxley versus Punk down the line because that would be a great match. Oh yeah, and I think it plays into the the uh, the events that are happening with the Blackpool Combat Club. I mean, it ended, of course, with um, the Jericho Appreciation Society coming in and attacking Mox and Tanahashi, and all members of uh, Blackpool Combat Club, including and uh, Santana Ortiz and Eddie, came into the ring, um, and we saw it. We saw it. Eddie doesn't forget. He sure as hell never forgets. <laughs> and he made his intentions. No, yeah. How he and felt no, about and, Claudio. And this, this, 
And this is this is this is divided people. Mm. Really? Um, Which? Mm. Well, the main. Mm. Oh no! Is Dan gone? Mm. And it really just comes down to like obviously you know like what like what do you like? Mm. And I guess like for for us we know. Like why Eddie and Claudio don't like each other? Yes. Yeah. For for all for all those like seven people that uh, watched it in Chikara when it originally happened. Hello. <laughs> um, and then everyone that has caught up since or watched Joseph's amazing I was video. I say yeah, all, all, all the all the hundred and eleven thousand people that have now gone um, up Joseph's video. <laughs> but like. I love it. I think it's great. I love the idea of storylines continuing through companies. Yeah, I'm kind. I'm kind of like that's why you. That's part of why you got them to do this. Right? Exactly. That's, exactly. That's kind of why I'm a little confused. Also, though, like right? I feel like, like it's a pretty. I feel like it's a relatively simple thing to just yeah. be like this guy hates each other. These guys yeah. hate each other, and he hates him from before. We'll get yeah. around to telling you eventually why. Yeah, and like, and, it's and they've so, done mm. that before. They've done that before. Exactly. <laughs> so, Mox, Mox and Eddie is a perfect example of that. Yeah, they have done it before. They did it with Punk. They, yeah. it, it, Eddie, half of Eddie Kingston's storylines in AEW is settling scores from other companies. Mm. I don't, I don't get why people suddenly dis. I also, this is I also weird. love the thing with Eddie Kingston where, like. So so much of his thing is just I hate your guts, and now I need to I need to show you why I hate you for them. <laughs> I think it plays so well into what happened in the blood and guts match. So well, yeah. uh, which by the way I haven't seen. Oh, a really good match, but I agree with what Joseph said. I don't think Tony fully grasps the concept of war games just yet. There are great yeah. moments in this match. It just doesn't flow well. I mean, should we should we jump over to blood and guts now? Sure, <clears throat> I'm happy to. Yeah, I mean, so I'll, I, I, I generally, from what I, from what I've seen, I think it generally looked pretty good. But I think the the problem, the problem is that kind of it. Like you said, there's like moments, but as far as, you know, people are saying like it didn't really flow together. Mm. I will say, though, as far as I'm aware, we did also get Daniel Garcia in the do-rag. Yes. And that which... man is a menace for it. Why were the Jericho Appreciation <clears throat> Society in mess shirts, which I tweeted, by the way, there is only one wrestler in the history of professional wrestling that ever pulled off wearing a mess shirt, and that was Christian. Albert. No, 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 it's Christian, and will always be Christian. <laughs> oh, no. I just, I just had a schism right and be born right at that moment. Yes. <laughs> just... Oh, no. It's okay. Sam Sam knows that I'm joking, but yes. no one else does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, um, so the, 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 the Daniel Garcia in a do-rag is like, oh. That, was... that man's actually a menace. Yeah, he re absolutely freaking is. Oh, by the way, props to Angelo Parker for the best spot of the entire match, being hung up by the cage and just gushing blood out of his head. 
You said you can have your dramatic bleeding. I don't care. The coolest, possibly the coolest shit I've ever seen this year is Claudio Castagnoli do a fucking giant swing on top of a cage. What to Chris Jericho care. as well? I don't care. Yep, that was that was the best spot, and of course it ends with both Claudio and Eddie uh, putting on submissions. Eddie thinks he's got the win, but it was actually Claudio that got the tap out. And that now causes... he has that giant asterisk hanging over his head. Yes, yeah, it's Eddie's... literally that I've won, but at what cost? <laughs> I love, I love that Claudio tries to like you know lift him up, and you can He's see like, yeah, Eddie let's go. Do this, bro. And Eddie's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it myself. I think I fucked my back. Ah. <laughs> oh, it was not a bad match at all. It's nice to see Claudio doing his thing, and from what I've heard. Claudio's certainly not doing this for the money, which certainly means that he's doing it because he wants to rest. Like, I guess he's doing it as a way to prove to, I guess, to a mainstream audience that, hey, look, this is what I can do. And I've, I think anyone who's known or at least watched Cesaro knows what he can do. But I'm guessing now it's like, I tell you what, I'm 41. I've got limited time to do this. So I'm just going to show everyone what I can fucking do. <laughs> I I, I I agree with everything except the limited time. I don't think Claudio can age like a normal regular being. I don't I don't <laughs> see it happening. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, a man is 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 the closest I've seen to a physically perfected man. Yeah. Yes. Like, I like I like I he could be going forever. I don't I don't I don't foresee it. Something catastrophic would have to happen. I think the the big thing with Claudio is that like he's never really been like billed as like a big man or anything mm. but then like you see him and then you're like he's basically the same height as Jake Hager yeah and and he's and he is like insanely lean for his strength yeah <laughs> yeah like ridiculously so <laughs> oh still makes me laugh when um when he did debut back in AEW, just the resurgence of that picture with of him and Eddie back in back in back when they were both managers still makes me laugh to this day. It's Eddie Kingston with like the piano tie. Yes, and Claudio with slicked black, uh, slick, slicked back long hair. Yeah, long hair Claudio feels cursed now. Cursed as hell. No way. Especially when he started wrestling and basically wore Chris Hero's gear. Yeah. That's cursed Claudio, if you ask me. Yeah, we don't deal we don't deal in that. Ah, <laughs> uh, so you know what? Overall, two very enjoyable weeks of AEW content. Uh despite mm-hmm. the fact it seemed like it was going to be very impossible for that to happen. Um it's good to know that they could still pull it out of the bag, you know? Mm-hmm. I think as if there was any really any doubt, because, hey, you've got an incredibly stacked roster of incredibly talented uh, wrestlers in there. So in terms of shuffling the pack, there's nothing wrong with that. And B, you've got goodwill with fans, um, which is, I think, a very seldom, seemingly seldom fi- rare thing to come by in mainstream professional wrestling. <laughs> well, yeah, with the way things have been going recently. And who, um, uh, especially with who WWE have signed as a mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's extremely hard to come by. So, no, I think, you know, 
AEW, I think, regardless of what happens, if there's, you know, with injuries and, you know, people ha coming in and out, I think they'll be all right if they need to shuffle things here and there. Um, yeah, talking and I know, I think, I think some of this is now meant to be setting up for uh, Death Before Dishonor, isn't it? Yeah. Which, by the way, like, loving to see the ring, the whole rejig of Ring of Honor. And good to see that Tony didn't go for that weird graphic design which was supposedly leaked. He's gone for a much more kind of faithful... Like the old school ROH one. Yeah, a very faithful kind of um, rebranding of the company, which, you lo which I love to see. Uh, apparently, the reason he brought Claudio in was because he wanted to bolster Ring of Honor. It's just because when brian got injured he came in a little bit sooner than he would have liked <laughs> which That's is, awesome. i just love hearing is like no i want to bring you in for ring of honor specifically it's like you know what good on you tony for doing yeah. that man why not why not i mean because they, they, they set up as well i mean the fucking jay lethal versus samoa joe <laughs> <laughs> which is i mean it's all right but like does Jay Lethal really need to be there again? <laughs> Does Jay Lethal really need to be television champion for the seventeenth time? I was gonna say, like Jay Lethal left R, <laughs> well, like basically left ROH to join ROH and then just do exactly what he was doing in ROH all <laughs> over again. <laughs> oh, my man, my man moved sideways. Time is a fine. <laughs> time is a straight line. <laughs> it's a flat a circle. Flat fucking circle. My God. <laughs> But no, um, all this as well being said, of course, you know, Kenny, um, he's, you know, come out recently. I think it was during the CEO stream uh, with Logan Sama. Shout outs to Logan. Awesome dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. That he said he's had a he's had a number of setbacks in his recovery. And he said one more little nick or one more little setback and that's my career gone. So oh, you can tell shit. that he, it's very it's what he's what he's been out with is incredibly serious. Yeah. Jeez. And of course, um, if you ask me, a really heartbreaking thing is to see dark, the Dark Order seemingly kind of crumble. Um, Alan Angels well, has I... now let his contract expire, which is... A... Yeah, so, I mean, the, th the, thing, the thing about it is, I'm, I'm really sad to see it start, like, going away. Mm. But obviously, you know, you've got, like, John Silver and, and Uno, and, you know, you know, like that. And Alex Reynolds, yeah. But, like... But like you know, with um, with Alan Angels and and Stu Grayson, I think what they both did was they made like you know, I think in the context of the time, mm. it made sense to have those deals because you know, like you know, the pandemic here thing and the exactly. AEW was like keeping matches going, and like like we said, like with Alan Angels, he's like twenty four, and he yeah, it's twenty four, and he's had. He's had barn burner of matches, and I think maybe and, this you know, is the best thing in, in, for him. In that time, in that time, he's had what two, two, pretty uh, two pretty amazing matches with Kenny. Mm -hmm. You know, I think maybe you know just him taking some time away, and then you know then coming back could be could be good for him. I think it. Yeah. I think it definitely will be. Um, it'll be a Drew effect. I think if he goes away and really plies his crafts. He's going to be a lot more in demand. Because I know, I know, I have, I know, I have heard that apparently Impact are in for him. Which I would, you know what? I want to, I want to bring him in. That'd be okay. good to see Alan Angels in Impact. I'd like to um, see that. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if like he was to appear in like a couple GCW shows or whatever. I'm just thinking now, Alan Angels versus Speedball Mike Bailey for the X Division Championship. Oh, those would be great matches. 
Yeah, but just something like that. I mean, I'm also thinking in the realms of like a Trey Miguel, Chris Bay. I mean, kind of, kind of, kind of vibe. You know, I think, really, I think that could. It's really good to see the X division actually have a stacked roster of really good talent. You know? Yeah, it's nice to see so, Impact so like... actually good. You know, <laughs> for once. Yeah, but some, some, something like something like that would be, I think, I think a good. A good starting point, and you know, maybe you need to rejig, rethink bits of the Dark Order. I think the Dark Order is so kind of integral to AEW at this point, though. Yeah, that without like a proper send off, it just seems. I, it, do, I yeah. yeah, I don't foresee it. If it if it ends, I don't foresee it not having a proper send off. That it deserves. That's it. kind of. Ridiculous. I mean, like because like even 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 amongst that, like I think there's I think there's things out of it. Like even if it come even if it comes with you know them slowly like dissipating away and having the send off everything i think at some point they need to they need to tap into the absolute amazingness they've got in john silver yeah they do they have john silver john silver's so fucking good he's <laughs> so so good they, they really need to just like get in just be like look let's just get let's just get you in get you going you know for something like something like the tnt title mm. or something maybe maybe roh but i think i think something like the tnt title is like a really good place for him yeah, I agree massively, um, and quite a, it would be quite a full circle kind of thing with Brody being the TNT champion and then coming full circle to have John being TNT champion. You know what? If you were going to end it, I'd probably be a, a, a end the Dark Order in a yeah. in a high. It'd probably be that you know. Yeah. To hand up John Silver being TNT champion. But that's that's fantasy booking on my part. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> um but yeah, any Either. apart from all of that, are we done with the news, Dan? I mean, pretty much. Obviously it's been it's had um <clears throat> uh the tag team of Jonathan Gresham and Lee Moriarty. Uh, which I for uh, next week's rampage has been announced. So like that is just like oh, just hook that to my veins. Um through the last kind of couple weeks of AEW programming, there's been more people showing love uh, for Hiroki Goto and Yoshihash, which is fucking brilliant for me. Yes, same. I love to see that. They're <laughs> awesome. Um, and then... Um, <sighs> there's something I was going to remember. Someone's gone over to DDT and I can't remember who. Um. Oh, I can't remember either. Um. Someone really calls off to off the DDT. That's that's the important bit. <laughs> oh no! It's again, just oh, Andrew Everett. Andrew Everett's off the DDT. Bro. Seven foot it's four. Awesome. Andrew Everett's going to yes. DDT. That's it. Love to see that as well. And it sounds like we're getting Jun Akiyama versus Eddie Kingston soon as well. If the post if the post show conference at Forbidden Door is anything to go by, yep. Which, that, that seems like it. What it, that seems like what it will be. Thank you, thank you, the wrestling gods for that. <laughs> but with that, Dan, are we done with the news? Yeah, we are done with the news. Lovely stuff. Let us mosey on over to recommendation corner because Ridden does have something for us this week. So, Ridden, what have you got for us? I've got something for you. Guys, how, how do you feel about hope that this shit might actually get better? 
Oh man, it's something Hopeful. that it's, it's my lifeblood at this point. Yeah. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, you're in luck, guys, because I have a new podcast which I really, really enjoy. It is by a lovely person called Margaret Kiljoy. It is called Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff. <laughs> Every Monday and Wednesday, it is about rebels, revolution revolutionaries and all the people who like to fight back against the worst the world has to offer <laughs> there are a lot there are so many really cool episodes the, my, one of my first favorite is the uh is the uh, the civil war the american civil war and talking about uh, basically talking about how how many people absolutely eradicated the confederacy and why including like including like stubborn southerners who were like this is bullshit. <laughs> and helps. So, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I need this podcast. I need this podcast to, to show me that there are some people out there who's going to be fighting. There's going to be a lot of people fighting for a long time. Mm -hmm. And if you want to find out how they did it and why, listen to the podcast. That is definitely going to be in my... Uh, I'm going to definitely follow that now on Spotify and give mm. that a listen because that does sound like something I, I definitely would love to listen to as i'm working <laughs> but no thank you for that reardon also patreon.com no forward slash sweet chin wag i will keep yes. plugging it to my heart's content guys we need guys gals and pals we need we need more of your support and if you can support us in any way and if you want to support us in any way shape or form patreon.com forward slash sweet chin wag we need 10 patrons for the for the hook music video <laughs> oh Look, just 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 make Goodness. us do dumb stuff how, we've got how, the xfl how? we've got the xfl 2001 to review we've also got well gosh we've got a few things haven't we? we've got heroes yeah. of wrestling as well as <laughs> a stretch goal we've got a few things we're that putting ourselves be... through hell for your enjoyment and for your all, help all could be yours <laughs> At Patreon. All could be yours at Patreon. <laughs> Forward slash Sweet Wag. As I said, any way you want to help out, any way you want to guide us through for future stuff and content, that is where you want to help and support us. But with all that said and done, let us get on with this week's episode all about Chris Canyon. The life and times of who better than Canyon? Of classic Chris Canyon or champagne Chris Canyon. <laughs> Or Mortis, regardless of yeah. what gimmick you loved Chris as, we're going to talk about all of it on this episode. So, chaps, first questions first. I guess with us, kind of, with this country, with the UK especially being, uh, having WCW at full access, I guess my first question is, were you there at the time and were you aware of Chris Canyon at this time? I wasn't i'm not i like thinking back to my wcw watching especially when it was like literally one or the other mm. this might have been the time where i had switched to, to wwf mm. so i might i i unfortunately was only aware after the fact of canyon mm. uh much like reardon i kind of came after the fact yeah but um I did I never really I didn't really see it as it happened, but mm -hmm. Canyon was kind of someone that kind of I don't even know how to describe it. Kind of picked up like um 
you know, a, a kind of appeal to a certain kind of audience. Yes. Yeah. That then kind of like made me aware of it, mm-hmm. aware of him. I I I first came across across Chris Kenyon late ninety. I think I want to say when I first started uh, WCW in late ninety seven, and then it was kind of when he was part of the uh, of the uh, the Jersey Triad stable. Yeah, that included him, DDP, and Bam Bam Bigelow. Yes, that is a that is one hell of a trio. <laughs> that is that is a stable. <laughs> I love the Jersey Triad as well. There's one heck of a name, if you ask me. <laughs> they should have done New. They should have done New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania, and called them the Tri-State. Oh, <laughs> that would have been the hype Jersey as Tri-State. Hell. <laughs> I love that. Love that. Alrighty, so let us get on with this episode. As I'm going to warn people ahead of time. This isn't going to be the most positive of episodes. It's going yes, to be an episode. This episode has... will get very sad. It will get yeah. very, very sad towards the end. I can assure you of that. But let's get right at the beginning. Christopher Morgan Kluxaritz was born in 1970, and well, in his early life, was actually an accomplished athlete. In high school, he played roller hockey, basketball, and baseball, and was actually and and uh, was one of the best baseball players in his high school which was archbishop malloy high school in queens and he grabbed from graduating there in 1988 he attended university at the university of buffalo with uh with being one of the best rugby players in the university hell yeah he was like an accomplished rugby player but also ended up getting a bachelor's degree in physical therapy nice and so he worked full-time as a physical therapist for three years after he graduated and was considered in the when he started out wrestling as one of the people that knew that was very clocked in on his body what were niggles what were more serious aches and pains and a lot of people basically what you're telling me is that because he was a licensed physical therapist he actually knew how to look after himself yes and not just be like I'm just going to go work a show. Oh, my shoulder dislocated. Yep. Yep. And there's a lot of wrestlers, actually, when he even when he started out, that came to him for advice on, oh, look, I've just got this niggling pain in my in my on my shoulder. Is it you know, is it serious or do I need it checked or can I work work on it? A lot of people came to Chris for that reason. Um, So. 19, he always wanted to become a professional wrestler, even when he was training and, and, and learning to become a physical therapist. After college, though, he began training with, under the name, under the rest, uh, well, under the Lower East Side Wrestling Gym in Manhattan, was trained by Pete McKay Gonzalez, Ishmael Garina, and Bobby Bold Eagle. Those are three amazing names for wrestlers, if you ask Bobby me. Bobby Bold Eagle. <laughs> what a name. What a name. It's a shame that his real name is Robert Cortez, but I I, I, I digress. Robert Cortez is a pretty good name. It's a good name for it's a good name, but Bobby Yeah, Bald but Eagle, Bobby man. Bobby Bald Bobby Bald Eagle sounds like the name of like a superhero in like a straight up like weird TV series that like goes on like a random channel. Mm. Yeah. That was probably made in like the nineteen seventies and has like a weird cult following. <laughs> So, 
He began wrestling in 1992, would end up having his debut match in New York at the Island Trees Junior High School, wrestled his first match as Chris Morgan before he would change his name to Chris Canyon with a C and eventually changing it to the K. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. He would end up having his big break up at Smoky Mountain Wrestling. <laughs> nice. Where he's he would team up with Jason West to take on the Heavenly Bodies. Oh my god. Oh boy. <laughs> Jimmy Del Rey and Tom Pritchard. And as we said, Jimmy De the gigolo, Jimmy Del Rey is uh Oh my god. As I said, no. one hell of a gigolo when he had a bit of when he had a dad bod. Matt, like ginger hair and a mustache and would gyrate to the ring because you know that's again gigolo come on dude <laughs> just you know just smoky mountain man it was through smoky mountain it was through smoky mountain wrestling as a matter of fact and their relationship with the wwf where chris would actually end up being enhancement talent in 94 and 95 i kid you not Chris Canyon's first televised WWF match was in a losing effort, in a losing effort for the Intercontinental Title against Diesel. What the hell? <laughs> yep, I kid you not. His See, first people match. Make me, people come back to me and they say, "Like, what's your problem with the new generation? <laughs> this is it." <laughs> His second match for WWF would be against Quan the Ninja. Nice. As nice. played by Savio Vega. Vega. <laughs> and would actually end up flip-flopping between ECW and WWF at this time. He would end up having a, in a losing effort in a tag match, facing off against Cactus Jack and Mikey Ripwreck. He would end up okay. facing the public enemy in his time in ECW. Oh, no. But during this time, he'd also face a face-off against Diesel and Shawn Michaels for the tag titles. He would face the he would face the smoking guns in a losing effort with him and Barry Horowitz, which again we need to do an episode of Barry Horowitz. Soon. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, we do. He would end up facing against Bob Holly, Duke the Dumpster Drosy, Aldo Montoya, the Portuguese Man of War, who would end up becoming just incredible. I shit just, you not. I, 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 again, I wish that was a lie, but it is in fact for true. <laughs> And it was after that that he would end up going to the USWA and eventually kind of having a couple of matches in the Tennessee area before getting the eye of WCW management. And this is where he would begin his career in WCW. But before that, actually, he would end up forming a short, a very, and I kid you not, blinking you miss it, tag team with Billy Kidman in the Indies, where both men wrestled in hockey uniforms. So it's a proto goon, if you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, you say like, as in like they wrestled in like full hockey gear. It was full hockey gear. Okay, all right. I thought you were gonna. I thought it was gonna be like one of those like indie gimmicks where they just turn up with like a hockey jersey on. <laughs> no, it's like the goon. They ended up wrestling in full hockey gear. Okay. Respectfully, Billy Kidman, what are you doing to yourself? <laughs> <laughs> it was during the time when he was a jobber in the WWF that he came across and befriended one James Mitchell, who we both, who we all know as the Sinister Minister. <laughs> oh my! Became they developed a really close friendship, and Mitchell actually yeah. really saw a lot of potential in, in him and said, "You know what? 
here's my contact. Here's the contact details for Arthur at the Wild Samoan Wrestling School. Go to him, get trained some more. And so he trained under Arthur for a little bit. Which, again, huge name that the Wild Samoan Wrestling School. Mm-hmm. Part of the, uh, the, of course, the world-famous Anawaii family. <laughs> yes. And it's through this that he would eventually get the call, as I said, from WCW. He debuted eventually doing the exact same thing as enhancement talent for them before eventually <laughs> getting an upset victory over Disco Inferno at a Saturday night taping. As long as it comes up the consequence of Disco Inferno, I am happy. <laughs> it was after that he would be teaming with Mark Starr to play in a tag team called Men at Work. Yes, their gimmick was two construction workers turned wrestlers who wore jeans to the ring. They wore oh. denim vests, denim jeeves, and wore hard hats to the ring. That's what, that's, what, that's what I know. That um... And they did not come out to Down Under. No, no, that, that's not that's that, that that was my second question. My first question, my first question is: Were they actually construction workers outside of wrestling? No, no. Wow, okay, that's disappointing. <laughs> See, like the 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 really key thing about like all of this though is just that I how many construction workers do you see that have me wearing? denim jeans and a denim vest <laughs> too many not enough <laughs> so much no, sorry was, uh, it's, so, it's just so silly canyons i guess you get a unique setting point for his men at work gimmick was that in an opportune times uh he would start he would take out his tape measure and start measuring the, the his opponent on the floor and that would cost men at work many a victory <laughs> I would just love it if the entire gimmick was that, like, if they had tables matches, they just have to like make check and make sure the tables are correct. Put, like they have to, they have to follow correct ladder protocol. They have to put cones out around the table. As a... <laughs> Not even that. They're like they like they they're going up the lat. Like to be fair, they'd always win a ladder match because they'd be <laughs> making sure they do three points of contact the entire time. Exactly, exactly. But alas. See, this is why you get ladder trained. Yep. Remember that. Yep. Remember. Fellas, I reckon if I reckon if I, I reckon if I become a wrestler, I'm in with a shoe in on all the ladder matches I have in the future. I'm ladder trained. <laughs> Remember proper safety protocols when they're in, when, in, when, in, when on a ladder, and especially at yeah. a ladder match, fellas. You don't want that ladder coming off of you, and then you're Mate, suddenly I, hang, I, hanging in midair with that title belt. I mean, Jeff Hardy Mate, can I think, attest to I that. Think, I, I think I think I've got a pathway here. <laughs> <laughs> Should we quickly move on to Mortis yes. by any chance? Would you like to move on to Mortis? I, let me just say, right, uh, in my time watching wrestling, as time has gone on, I've developed a really strange love for the Mortis gimmick. <laughs> yes. I I kid you not, there was something about the whole Glacier Mortis Blood Runs Cold storyline I fucking love and adore. Like, Because basically, at its heart, it's just Scorpion versus Sub-Zero. Exactly what it is! It's literally just Scorpion versus Sub-Zero. But for some reason, though, I don't know why. I don't know what it is about the gimmick, whether or not I'm experiencing some kind of weird, like... Um, like proxy love that I'm like because it's sim because I love Mortal Kombat and this is similar to it I must love the two or if it's some weird kind of like Stockholm syndrome case 
where like I'm holding my own brain hostage and forcing myself to like it. Mm. I think the Mortis gimmick is great. Loved it so much. So it's, nice. it's just Death Ninja. It is. It's oh, so is, and it's the timing of it as well that is funny. So here's the, here's the time. 1996. Mortal Kombat has been out for a few years at this point. It is the at the apex of pop culture. We've had three games at this point. We're getting a movie coming out very, very soon. So Eric Bischoff takes one look at that. I want Sub-Zero and gets them has the Glacier character. And of course, Glacier needs a feud. So who better than Canyon? Get it? So, so, who better than Canyon? So I, I digress. So Canyon, after being kind of fizzling out from men at work, decides to don a mask team with his good friend james mitchell then known as james vandenberg and becomes mortis now mortis of course is the latin word meaning death because you need to be kind of very on the nose with that gentleman yeah and so I, this I, is... I, he's, he's doing a bottle combat bit like they ain't subtle <laughs> again i think we're forgetting about a company where the character themed around ice is called sub-zero <laughs> yes <laughs> so <laughs> At Uncensored of 1996, Mortis vs. Glacier in both their pay-per-view debuts. And Glacier would end up winning this match. Now, may I add as well that during this time, Glacier... Uh, the, the whole blood runs cold thing was so, was sort of its own separate universe to WCW where it happened during WCW programming but it never overlapped with any other storylines and this is yeah. a few months before we get the NWO and it kind of gets choked out by them <laughs> after this match though where Glacier had won at Uncensored Wrath day or Wrath debuted and so we had Death and Wrath <laughs> In this whole blood runs cold feud, and Glacier would of course go on in his undefeated streak, defeating Mortis in a, in a second match at Slamboree. But again, Raf and Mortis attacked Glacier. Although this time, Glacier was spared his life by one Ernest the Cat Miller. Because <laughs> get all the martial arts guys together. Fucking Ernest the Cat Miller. Ernest <laughs> the Cat Miller. Would you believe, though, that this storyline never culminated? As both all four men would face off against I can fully believe that this storyline didn't culminate. What are you talking about? So, here's the thing. It all culminated at Bash at the Beach in a certain in a way. Kind of like, it ended but didn't really because it kept going on. Even Mortis and Raph would continue to team together. And it was just dropped. And just, just just dropped in 1998 because, well, of a lot of things. NWO, uh, yep. of course. Uh, Glacier's uh, entrance fee, entrance, uh, the whole get-up, the snow, the lasers, the costume, cost so much money for WCW at that time that Hogan apparently, accordingly, was quite jealous that they were spending way too much money on Glacier's entrance. Of course Hogan would be. Even despite the fact that he was getting paid millions and had total creative control in his career like i can fully like like obviously there is the thing if they are spending way too much or something that's getting them no return <laughs> yeah and yes we need to talk about that hogan can't talk though when he's being given the biggest contract in wcw and has basically full creative control my real key point with this always though is this comes so after the fact what the nw yeah Exactly. No, not even that. Just Mortis and Raph. Yeah. It comes so after the fact. 
it's so stupid it's so stupid yeah. so, yes mortal Kombat was in fact at one point popular <laughs> but this is yeah this is 19 this is 97 98 where i think the film the films come out and was absolute kind of like commercial flop and the sequel came out and was an absolute flop yeah it they, they really dropped the ball on that one didn't they they yeah. really really did so, February 1998, Canyon, still as Mortis, asks Raven if he could join the flock, but was only told that he could become a member if he would defeat DDP for the US Championship. Mortis would fail in that occasion to defeat uh, Paige on an episode of Thunder, and was Raven effect, or sorry, even flowed on the entrance ramp by Raven as a, as a result. And this would lead to Canyon discarding the Mortis persona and begin a feud with uh, Raven, which of course would see him being dubbed as the innovator of offense by Mike Tanay due to his unique wrestling style. Which, by the way, Canyon did have a really cool way of um of like innovating moves. Like, mm-hmm. he had a really kind of, like, an amazing way of being able to go from a fireman's carry position and being able to pull off a DDT or a suplex. And, mm. all right, he made an overdrive, a sort of overdrive-type move look good as well. That was that that that, that takes skill. <laughs> yeah. I think that the, I mean, A, the concept of, like, now looking back at the concept of Raven versus Canyon, it's like, oh, my God, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Given the correct time and appreciation... But yeah. of course, yeah. you're never going to get that in WCW with Hogan involved. Yeah, no. It was during this time that Hogan would, would Hogan would see people start people doing stuff differently, and then say they're overexposing the business. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, this man's out here cutting leg drops. Exactly. Exactly, and fucking up his back here. <laughs> irreversibly fucking up his back but i digress it was during this time in 98 that of course canyon would come up with his signature line who better than canyon and of course the crowd would respond in earnest if he was a heel everybody or if he was a face nobody i love it it's great gotta love it it was during this time as well that canyon was considered one of the most safest pair of hands in wcw and so much so that Kenyon was the sole person responsible for training a lot of celebrities during their matches in WCW. Kenyon trained, and I'm just going to list off all the people, Carl Malone, Jay Leno, Dennis Rodman, David Arquette, <laughs> Will Sasso, but, you know, I digress. But it was it was seen that Canyon was the safest pair of hands that you could possibly have to train a, a, an inexperienced wrestler and was considered quite, you know, the asset I mean, for the company. If I was going to trust anyone, uh, a licensed physical therapist would be one person. <laughs> I feel like they'd know how to be safe with someone's body. Exactly. It was from this as well that Canyon was able to type, take kind of... Uh, dab his hand into becoming a little bit more in fi- working in films especially if they're wrestling centric films that he would become stunt coordinators for them as a matter of fact he ended up being the stunt coordinator for the jesse ventura story the made for tv film that was full of inaccuracies and lies case in point apparently jesse ventura was part of the montreal screw job and was part of the commentary team um also the montreal screw job took place in wcw and raven was actually Shawn michaels and a no-face jobber in a purple singlet was bret hart and it was from los angeles 
I shit you not, this is the this is the Jesse Ventura story film I'm talking about here. Now, there's being inaccurate. <laughs> and then there's just lying. <laughs> and those are two very different concepts. I highly recommend, if we're going to do another watch-along, to watch the Jesse Ventura story. Because I mean, it is... If we can find it... It is batshit insane. Around, it is. Way. It is on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> I didn't say that, everybody. But no. <laughs> Eventually, of course, he would end up... Uh, but going back to the flock... Uh, Canyon would end up teaming and forming an alliance with Perry Saturn at this time, uh, having a little bit of a great tag team here and there, until eventually the flock would fizzle out, and it ended after Raven cited a storyline depression as his way of leaving the company and leaving the flock to for it to disband. <laughs> and of course, that would give Canyon the kind of like the storyline way of going away and becoming a stunt coordinator for several films but he would come back in 1999 to actually help raven and saturn win the tag championships but would soon abandon them to form the stable with bam bam bigelow and ddp known as the jersey triad hell okay yes. just quickly just a i have found the jesse ventura story yes you didn't mention the fact that apparently it is two hours long yep Jesus Christ. What do you mean two hours long? The YouTube video I found is two hours, 12 minutes, and 55 seconds. Excuse me, what? What? Yeah, yeah, and you would not believe the amount of inaccuracies in that two hours, I would tell you that much. I think he's. I think this man's just lying. I'll be honest. I don't even think it's inaccuracies. I think he's just making stuff up. <laughs> Apparently, it was apparently from what I've heard, it wasn't made with a lot of his permission, Jesse Ventura's permission. All right, so we're gonna have to back. get back to this another we'll point. Yeah, we'll yeah, this is, this is messing point. with my head. Anyway, back to Canyon and the Jersey Triad, which Jersey I, triad. even though it is a silly part of WCW history, man, it's just free people I love. <laughs> no, exactly. It, exactly. It's all, it is, if if it were not for. If it were not for DDP, it would almost be a certified boys' stable. Oh, absolutely, would it be? Uh, I mean, their first feud was against uh, Saturn and um, Chris Pinoir uh, for the yep. tag championships. And again, they would end up defeating them, and Crit Canyon would end up uh, winning the tag championships with Bam Bam. And they ended up having a tremendous tag team. Matter of fact, we watched one of their tag matches at Road Wild <laughs> for our yes. pay per view review. As a matter of fact, and that was against the Harlem Heat of all of all tag yeah. teams as well. Um, again, the the what I love about this team is that they were just so like slimy Jersey heels, and mm -hmm. like they would worm their way taxi being able to have tag team matches, but they would end up having all three of them in the tag match, <laughs> being able to defend the titles. The, just like. <laughs> The, the rolling sub freebird rule. Exactly. Except, you know, every tag defense is a handicap match, but I digress. <laughs> so it's shortly after, funnily enough, that Road Wild 99 uh, match against Harlem Heat, the triad would disband and Canyon would again become a stunt coordinator for the absolute box office smash hit Ready to Rumble. <laughs> Not, All right. not only All right. as stunt coordinator, yes. but would also be the stunt double for Jimmy King. 
right? Right. Look, right. right. We're gonna be here, and we're gonna be here and say that it's silly, right? But let's be real. Ready to Rumble was being partially financed by WCW, so if you're gonna have anyone do it, you might as well do it in house. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Canyon would return late 99, this time as Champagne Chris Canyon, being accompanied by Jay Biggs as his agent and two Nitro Girls, Baby and Comedian. Kid you not, those were the Nitro Girls' actual oh, is, names. Is, is, is that like, com- is that Comedian with like the E at the end or what, what are we apparently talking about not, Apparently not. Apparently not. I, I can't remember what it I think it was when I did... I think it was one of the things I did with UWP once where they brought up like the it was like is this is this real or fake names of the the Nitro girls and there was some weird stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was uh, you know why he became Champagne Chris Canyon? It was because indirectly because of Ready to Rumble being a stunt coordinator that he become acclimatized to the glitz and glamour of Hollywood. And oh, it's, it's a Hollywood gimmick. It's a oh. Hollywood gimmick, basically. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Give me that. But it was quickly dropped after he was removed from TV by then-booker Kevin Sullivan, but was brought back in 2000 when Sullivan was usurped by Vince Russo. He would team with Vince Diamond Russo. with DDP once more before it all climaxed at Slamboree when he was thrown off the top of the cage by Mike Awesome, which, by the way, I kid you not, right, was done in incredibly poor taste because not only was it a year after the fact, but it was also in the exact same arena where Owen Hart passed away. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, oh, And Vince Russo was on the card, uh, was on the books then. Uh, Vince Russo really just went like, I... (laughs) Vince Russo really just said, forget subtlety. Mm. Yeah, oh, that's that's bad, man. And so for the next several weeks, Canyon would be in a wheelchair and a halo brace uh, to kind of sell what had happened to him in that in that match. At that's actually disgusting, you know. Yeah, and yeah. eventually he would step out of that wheelchair and turn on DDP at the Great American Bash, costing him his ambulance match victory against Mike Awesome. He would join after that with the new blood and then became positively Canyon, where he not only would he begin to parody DDP, but he also brought back for a short time his men at work gimmick. <laughs> Most infamously, he would bring back his men at work Canyon gimmick in a feud with Buff Bagwell, where Canyon kidnapped Buff's mother Judy and would end up fighting for the custody of Judy Bagwell at New Blood Rising in the Judy Bagwell on a forklift match. The one of the most based match formats of all time. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Are you sure about that? It is it is it is literally when you Try and tell people what's the like. What is the most stupid thing to happen in wrestling? In amongst everything that people can come up with, at one point, every what near enough, every person will say 
Judy Bagwell on a pole match, but the pole's actually a forklift. <laughs> it is it is literally like the WCW stupid decadence. Yep. Just a tiny like, bit. you literally committed to an idea and at no point anyone ever questioned it. <laughs> I Literally, I have no idea how that match even came into existence. Remember, this is WCW literally 2000, just, by the way. But they literally could have just done a match where they said, like, it, where she was just at ringside. Mm-hmm. Or set up, like, some kind of angle where something, like, involves that. And instead, they thought, no, forklift. Mm-hmm. I bet you someone at WCW just got forklift certified and really wanted to show off. Chris Canyon got forklift certified. Chris Canyon got forklift certified. Because <laughs> well. I kid you not, Canyon came out in his entrance in that match on the forklift, driving the forklift with Judy Bagwell on the forklift. All right, I reckon Chris Canyon forklift certified. Incredible. This right. All right. So okay. Shortly after that, Canyon would linger for a little bit in WCW, having a light gimmick change in February of two thousand and one, sporting a more intense look, having a um having new entrance music and a new kind of entrance jacket, and feuding with Ernest the Cat Miller. But that was never kind of capitalized on because. WCW was purchased by the WWF in March of 2001. And this sees us get to Canyon's time with the Alliance in <laughs> with the whole thing that that encompasses during that time of 2001. So, in July, he would make his debut as part of the Alliance, teaming with DDP, trying to take on The Undertaker. Yeah. In that whole storyline with DDP, that whole DDP and Taker. DDP. See, see, that's when you that's when they should have resurrected the Mortis gimmick. Yes. That's when they yes. should have done it. See, that would have that would have been good, right? <clears throat> but instead they went for and I still can never believe I'm saying this. DDP was stalking the Undertaker's wife. Yeah, that's a thing. That's in the history books. <laughs> and especially when you when you realize when you fully realize that um well take a look at ddp's wife if you ever want to google search search for ddp's wife at that time and you'll you'll see what i mean <laughs> it's that's all i'm saying ddp is stalking the undertaker's wife. oh i found out recently that you know the uh, you know the the voiceover for those tapes where you'd see the shaky camera footage of the undertaker's wife yeah and, the, and the, yeah that was vince doing the voiceover of course it fucking oh was. Oh, my God. <laughs> of course it fucking was. So, what I will say is that Canyon at this time became the Alliance MVP when he was gifted the United States Championship from Stephanie McMahon. And, of course, this would see Canyon part of a couple of, like, funny backstage gimmicks where, they, of course, they would see that, that one time where they thought Stone Cold was coming out of a limousine and then it's just Chris Canyon coming out and celebrating with the US Championship. <laughs> Again, during this time, he would end up becoming WWF Tag Champion with DDP. Uh, it would only last one week, though, when they were defeated by the Brothers of Destruction in a steel cage match at SummerSlam. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He would end up losing, eventually, the United States Championship to Chijiri, of all people, on the September episode nice. of War. 
He, I'm not mad at that match. I'm yeah, not mad nah. at the idea of that match, though. Yeah. You know, it probably, it, to be fair, it was in WWF, so it was probably booked like ass, but... It was during October, right in the last kind of vestiges of the invasion angle that Canyon would actually end up tearing his left anterior crucian ligament during a dark match with Randy Orton. <laughs> Crazy, yeah, isn't it? Extremely young Randy Orton. <laughs> See, it's it's kind of weird how how much of a when you when you look at it on paper how much of a solid mid card run Canyon had. Yeah, it wasn't that that's, bad. That's really like the match is saying like, yo, no, they actually put some elbow grease into Canyon actually. Yeah, they had like he ended up having um a little feud with Matt Hardy at the time as well before he tore his uh, before he tore his ligament before that um but yeah he didn't he wasn't too bad at all like where he was and again he had some really good backstage segments so clearly canyon was kind of being positioned as quite maybe a good mid-card level wrestler yeah but um Again, he would end up having the surgery, which was apparently successful. He would end up appearing in a little cameo at the Survivor Series pay-per-view, which, of course, saw the Alliance kind of dissolve and lose in the Invasion storyline. And during that time, a lot, of course, that meant, of course, all of the WCW and ECW guys would eventually <coughs> go to Raw and, um, and SmackDown, and eventually some of them would go to OVW. Um, Canyon? would take time to recover from his injury, but eventually would be sent to OVW in 2002. He would end up having um, a, a, a kind of number of rivalries during his time, but most notably with one Lance Cade at this time. Uh, he would end up, unfortunately, during as well, um, having a bit of a, a shoulder injury as well, which would take him out for a little bit of time. To give you, to give you a perspective of who he was facing at this time, we have Chris Canyon in matches against John Cena, Shelton Benjamin, mm -hmm. Nova, and uh, and and Batista. 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 Um, so not a bad kind of class of people to have at OVW. I'll tell no, you that much. Did great amount of people. Um. So. After the soldier, uh, shoulder injury, he would go up to end up having surgery in 2002. But after that, he began experiencing dif uh, breathing difficulties. He ended up having aller an allergic reaction to the medication he was given. And unfortunately, he ended up, he was eventually, you know, he eventually recovered. But he ended up actually ended up with uh, his lungs being filled with fluid and his blood oxygen level fell to 41%. That's bad. Ooh, that's uh, okay. that's bad. He that would eventually be recovered and discharged. He ended up though losing thirty-two pounds during that time. Holy shit! That wow. Is, yeah, that is a lot of weight to lose. That's insane. Crazy. Wow. Genuinely crazy. He would return, though, in October of 20, uh, 2002, I should say, to OVW. He would work there for a few, uh, few further four months, working in dark matches, before um, making one little backstage segment with the APA, as they wanted him to attend a battle royale at the next pay-per-view. Um, he was one of the challenges in that pay-per-view, in that battle royale, but was didn't really do much. And now, unfortunately, we get to the thing I think we were all getting to. It was February 13, 
2003. It is SmackDown. And during, in a storyline with the Big Show and The Undertaker feuding, Big Show gives him a giant present in a big crate that's in the ring. And Undertaker opens it. And who should step out but Chris Canyon, dressed as Boy George, singing Do You Really Want to Hurt Me in a with a very noticeable uh, put-on lisp. Um, now, I don't know who, who, what speculation and hearsay here and there in certain yeah. interviews and certain people <clears throat> suggest why this is the case, but Canyon during this time had lobbied and got support from DDP and a lot of the guys in the back to portray a gay wrestler who was a wrestler, a no-nonsense, normal wrestler who just so happened to be gay. And that was shot down by WWF. Yeah. Now, Kenyon has gone on record, had gone on record, as to say that this was made as a punishment for him trying to put, uh, to, uh, to coming forward with that gimmick. Now, can neither confirm if that is true or false. Kenyon has said... Kenyon had said afterwards that he was a, he, he may have said that because he was still incredibly bitter with what had happened at WWE. Yeah. Um, but needless to say, this is horrible because of what The Undertaker does to him. Yes. Yeah. He attacks Kenyon and delivers one of the most god-awful chair shots I have ever seen. Yeah. Needlessly reckless, swung way too hard, and didn't and Canyon had no time to protect himself. And he whacked him hard on the head. Yep. Now yeah. for something like that. Regardless of what Taker was feeling or what he was thinking to do that and prompting him to do that, unforgivable. Absolutely. Because you're putting a, you're putting you're supposed to protect your like protect a, a person yeah, you're working he's, with. He's, he's putting yeah. him at he's putting him at risk. Yeah. Like it's it's absolutely ridiculous that you know people are there and they're going like like oh that's just what the that's just what the spot was. No, you got to look after people. Yeah, exactly. And not least when you're the Undertaker and you're complaining that other people aren't working properly and saying oh people don't look after each other anymore. If you're not the example to do it, then yeah. Exactly. I don't know why anyone at that time is really acting like they're ever gonna they're like, oh man, these these kids these they don't know how to work when they're out here doing that because they don't agree with people. Mm. And like and like look, obviously most a lot of this is speculation. Obviously you can't just like throw accusations on people. Yeah. But like, you know, reading stuff from that time, um, and you know, reading things about it kind of does tend to paint a certain kind of picture about what the culture was like. Yeah, I don't, I don't see how, I don't see any other explanations. And like the thing, and like the thing is, is we talk about that and how you know Chris had said that like he wanted to portray a wrestler who was just a normal wrestler and was a like a wrestler like he like he was that also just happened to be gay mm. and i don't i don't know that at this point he was like i say you know 
out and open about it not as in like the public sense but like as you know to people he knew yeah from what i've heard and seen uh and if anyone has watched the dark side of the ring episode it is it's a it is one of like it is a really good episode but again it is a very hard episode to watch yeah uh ddp knew and james mitchell also knew uh, as yeah. well um but chris was very much a person who as we know and he knew down the line he ended up suffering greatly with bipolar disorder like, so let, let's let's think about this though in the context mm. that in 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 a way this was kind of like his attempt at being like you know trying to be authentic about who he was exactly and then when he's trying to bring the idea of being like well look i need to reconcile with this maybe if i kind of sell it as like a gimmick that can give me a bit of like currency in it exactly and then you know them being told oh don't care about that go get dressed up like george michael and go out there and, and perform in front and perform in front of people mm. you know that that's that's got to do so much to a person to like actually just cause so much damage yeah yeah and it's I... part of the big it's part of the bigger conversation of why i say you know when we talk about the joys and the wonders we have in queer wrestling these days mm. about why we we even though this example is two what 2003 yeah 2003 yeah 2003 is by no means the past mm-hmm. <sighs> you know there are still many many wrestlers competing now who were from that same time period mm-hmm. randy orton still appears on raw all the time John He's Cena. right now but Mm. you know like this isn't ancient history and when we talk about why we have this love and this joy of seeing the queer wrestling scene right now it's because we're able to have this Mm -hmm. this thing that we did not have and him being there and literally just being like, well, maybe if uh, then like if I if I try and sell it as a gimmick, maybe they'll let me put it out there. Maybe I can be who I want to be. Mm. And then that getting turned into getting chair shotted over the head. Like, what kind of thing does that say to people? Exactly. Exactly. So after this, he would eventually go back to his who better than Canyon gimmick would eventually have end up being kind of relegated to the C-show uh, velocity at this time. Um, he would eventually end up having several dark matches and house shows, not only as Chris Kenyon, but as Mortis as well. Yep. And in February 2004, after facing two injuries, not being used in any major storylines and being kind of relegated to the C-show, Kenyon was officially released from his contract. Now... Kenyon has said, and again, during his time after this, that he was released from his contract because uh, he thought they were releasing him because he was gay. He backtracked on that again, saying that he was incredibly upset and bitter how they treated him at this time. He would end up suing, attempting to sue WWE for cheating him out of healthcare and other benefits. He would also use... uh, uh, In that lawsuit, he was also um, with Raven and Mike Sanders at that time. It was dismissed ultimately because of that, uh, because of insufficient evidence by by uh, Canyon, Raven, and Sanders. Canyon, from this time, would also go into um, would make a couple of appearances on the Howard Stern show, 
which are very hard watches if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, Kenyon at this time has been had outed and was very, you know, was very stern in, in you know, saying I am, I was a closeted gay man at that time in WWE and I feel they cheated me out of it. Very hard watches because you can see Chris really struggling to contain his yeah. emotions and especially when for some reason howard has rick flair call in and yeah i was gonna say that that whole section is like that is that's horrific, hard, that's horrific and i hate it and i don't really want to repeat it because it is it's it's just hard to watch that moment with when rick flair calls i was gonna in say that. in that entire thing howard's done honestly doesn't make it any better he re- oh fuck oh, no, no, he does not does make not. It any better. And and then like a couple of weeks later, John Cena appears on the Howard Stern show, and he yeah. has to bring up Chris Canyon in that episode. Um, well, why? No idea. Because again, like it's John. I don't know. Did John really have anything to do with that? It's uh, just it's it's ridiculous. It's it's it, and it's it, and it's horrible. But there is a bit of a silver lining during this time. Kenyon would continue to have indie bookings here, there, and everywhere. Most particularly, though, in in the California scene, where he would meet two young wrestlers and fans of his work, Matt and Nick Jackson, also known as the Young Bucks. Now, Bucks have gone on record as saying they freaking loved Kenyon during his time in WCW. And one of their big things mm-hmm. that they wanted to do when they were setting up their promotion and they were running shows in California was to book Kenyon. If anyone's read uh, the Bucks' uh, the Bucks's book, good read, by the way. Highly recommend yeah. that read. And if, even if you're not the biggest fan of the Bucks, it is a really good read. It's quite a good look into the SoCal scene of the early 2000s as well. Exactly exactly canyon was uh booked in a few of their shows and canyon really befriend befriended matt and nick um mm-hmm. so much so they would call and just chat about anything and everything wrestling personal lives how they were doing it was through this that matt and nick of course found out that chris was suffering greatly with bipolar disorder which is something that you should never Never be taken lightly. Never be no. mocked about. It is a very serious and hard thing for anyone to go through. But Chris was always there, and he always knew that he could confide in Matt and Nick anytime, any way, shape, or form, and put on really good shows. And Chris, through Matt and Nick and through their promotion, Chris was really kind of a lot more confident to say to people, and it is in the book, as quoted, after a match... He gets on the mic and say, I, Chris Kenyon, am a gay man and I am happy and proud to be that. And received a, an overwhelming, you know, standing applause for that. Little fun anecdote as well that Matt goes, you know, Matt says, well, I was having a really deep conversation with Chris at one time. And he, and he said to me, he said to me, it's a shame, really. It's like, because are you, are you gay, Matt? And Matt goes, sorry, I, I, I just, I love the vagina too much. <laughs> I remember when I used to say that. Boy, was I was I incorrect. I remember those days. Back when dinosaurs ruled the earth. So during this time in his later career, Kenyon would actually have one appearance at TNA uh, in yep. a losing effort to Raven. He would actually end up being in PWG at one point. Yep. 
And we ended up coming back in 2009, having uh, a couple of matches against Alex Reynolds. Yes, of the Dark Order, believe it or not. Yeah, that's uh, peculiar. That's a peculiar spat for me. It so is. He would end up having a couple of matches with DDP, which, okay. of course, you know. Reardon, do you all know the one that's really going to mess with you? <laughs> sure, what do we got? What do we got? In 2005, Chris Canyon was in a tag match against Roderick Strong. That's that's a fake fact. Right. I don't believe I'm that. I want to tell you something right now. It is not fake. I'll tell you something that's not fake at all. 2005. Rochester, New York. It's an NWA upstate uh, event. The team of Glenn Spector and Jerk Jackson are defeated by the team of Chris Canyon and Brody Lee. What? 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Brody Lee. But this this is what I mean when I say that like the the kind of SoCal scene that was developing was insane. Yep, that's madness. And that's and then they like SoCal so in New York at that time because NWA Upstate <laughs> ran pretty similarly along like ROH. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Canyons, one of Canyons' documented last match is a two-on-one handicap match where he, as Mortis, <laughs> defeats the team of Blake Morris and Mike Reed that were known as the High Society. Hell yeah! Why not go out as Mortis? Is what I say. So. But like, like just to but just to like put like like some time reference on some of these things, right? Two thousand five NWA Upstate October so October twenty two thousand five. Mm. On that same card, there was also a match between Abyss and Brody Lee. Because <laughs> of course there was, of course and, there and was. stuff like you know making that making that. TNA appearance. We had Samoa Joe versus AJ Styles. Christian Cage versus Monty Brown. <laughs> Wild. Our truth was on that card. Yep. Wild. Wild. So crazy, isn't it? So. And wait, yeah. wait till you hear this PWG card. That includes. This is 2005 again. De- say December 16th, 2005, with mm. Chris Canyon on it in a match against redacted for the pwg title yeah we yeah yeah <laughs> this match features alex shelley colt cabana <laughs> scorpio sky jack <laughs> evans roderick strong el generico sammy fucking zane <laughs> samoa joe davy richards chris saban frankie kazarian <laughs> rocky romero <laughs> <laughs> tjp Christopher Daniels, Peter Williams, and Kevin Owens. <laughs> when people, when I say to people about this, I have to remind them: this is not ancient history. This is not the 1970s. <laughs> Many people on these cards are still alive and performing now. Yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? <laughs> it's so nuts. <laughs> and this is why I make such a point out of it. Mm. This is not forever ago. Really isn't. This is this is very this is recent. This mm. is recent history, and it's why we need to tackle these aspects of this culture that seems to still sometimes pervade across wrestling. Mm. Obviously, there's a whole cultural situation happening right now, which is too big for us to discuss as a wrestling podcast. True, 
<laughs> I mean, we can certainly tackle aspects of it. We can do our damnedest, but, you know. But, like, it's important for people to get this sense of perspective that even in 2003, mm. there was not this freedom that lots of us are able to enjoy now. Exactly. Exactly. On 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 to, or talking of that, Kenyon, alongside um, uh, a writer known as Ryan Clark, they were in talks and working on a book known as Wrestling Reality. And what it was going to be was going to detail Kenyon's struggles as a closeted gay man in the world of professional wrestling. And uh, it is one heck of a book if anyone's ever ever read it. It is um, it's a harrowing. It is quite harrowing and really upsetting when you go into when you read it because you you go into the mindset of Kenyon and realizing how scared he was to even talk to anyone about yeah. what he was ha uh, what he you know what he was feeling and thinking that if he mm. was ever to find if anyone was to ever find out he would be out of a job and out of a life um but before that book could ever be released um he was showing a lot of signs of of worry from a lot of close friends and family um he would call up if anyone's seen the uh, the dark side of the ring episode james mitchell recounts how many there was a few weeks where he got incredibly worried for chris because he kept calling erratically at times talking about being upset and then the next day he would be incredibly happy and so Mitchell was worried, and quite rightly so, for Chris. And unfortunately, on April, the, on the 2nd of April 2010, uh, his brother, uh, Chris's brother, Ken, concerned about him not answering calls anymore, unfortunately, um, went, to visit his, went to visit his brother's apartment and found that he had passed away uh, at the age of 40. Um, doctors have found out in a post-mortem that he actually ended up dying from an overdose of antidepressants and left a note of an apology to his family. Chris Chris's death was acknowledged by WWE in kind of a good move because I would have thought that they probably would have ended up completely forgetting Canyon in, in the grand scheme of things, but they did acknowledge his passing and it's a shame. It's one of the biggest kind of things that upsets me about this whole story is that this guy was a really talented wrestler, was one of the safest pair of hands, could be so called on to rely on putting a lot of, you know, helping a lot of talent, celebrity talent come in and work. He was seen as a guy that you could go to if you were, you know, if you had a niggling injury and was concerned about if it was serious or not. Seemed to be a very loved guy by everyone he was friends with. And it, it's just upsetting that this, that Chris's life was cut so short because of everything that happened. It sucks, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. But I kind of wish that Canyon could see the, the, the love and outpouring of love that he's had retrospectively now. Yeah. Because, man, I just I, I wish he was he was here to see that people really did love his work and were yeah. kind of like are incredibly proud that he 
that he became such a good wrestler despite you know all of the setbacks all of the struggles the fact that he was a gay man in a in a mainstream wrestling promotion and being successful as well yeah it's the one thing that's just like i wish that chris were here to see all of that i i of of all the things i really wish he could have been here to see the influence he's had mm. because like you know obviously there's you know there's there's the box and there's many people that he also worked with that kind of carry that on but like you know, people, we speak to the whole thing of, like, the innovator of offense thing, but, like, there's stuff that Canyon was doing in, like, 99, 2000 that people aren't doing, still aren't doing now. Mm. Yeah, because they can't. <laughs> they, because they straight up can't and, do like, it. And, like, when we're here and we talk about, like, you know, comparatively big guys being, like, surprisingly agile and kind of helping influence that kind of modern indie style, I think Chris Canyon's one of the ones you should really go to. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe not so much in terms of, like, the, the larger conversation, but definitely for, like, stuff like the influence towards, like, P- PWG, the SoCal scene, and then also that kind of more agile, big wrestling style mm. is absolutely something that I think people should look at and have a bit of acknowledgement to. And, again, I wish he could have been here to see it. And then kind of as as maybe reductive as it is to say, I really wish that you could have been here to see things like the proliferation of things like Big Gay Brunch. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I think he would have loved and embraced that. He, just, he would just, have... Just, just, to, just to know that there were like specifically gay and queer-focused wrestling events happening mm. that were like mm. a national-level stage, bringing people in from all across the world. I think he would have been ecstatic to be a part of that I, if he could. I just feel yeah. like that would have been something that he would have wanted to have seen. Would love to have seen Mortis in a big gay brunch. I'm just that's what I, I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that is something I'd be very in, I'd be very interested. At we should have had Mortis in, in the clusterfuck. Exactly. Yeah, I would have been very interested in like op- like an openly gay Mortis. What that would look like. <laughs> That would have been amazing. Like, like, how, do, how does being gay affect on your ability to collect souls? I mean, I imagine. Personally, I think boost. personally, I think it gives you a. I think it gives you a buff. Yeah, I'd say so, that. And there I'd is no that. doubt in my mind that Kenyon would have would be in AEW right now as a coach, like because with Glacier being there as well, there is no oh, doubt yeah. the Bucks would have run back the fucking Blood Runs Cold storyline. <laughs> <laughs> there is no doubt in my mind. The bugs come out that. dressed as Scorpion and Sub Zero. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> or, 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 or Glacier and Mortis. No, I Mortis, Mortis in the Mortis in the gl- glittery Nikes. Yes, yes. That's what it would have happened. Mortis, Mortis comes out <laughs> with his two sons. <laughs> oh would have loved to have seen it but that is where we're going to end this episode all on chris canyon who better than canyon there's nobody better better than canyon nobody ah well chaps we are reaching the end of pride month 2022 yes i know we're in july now this is still a month 
We had to do Stone Cold Steve Austin. We had to do Steve Austin at episode 100. So don't, don't, don't come yeah. at us, peeps. Listen, this has been a very strange Pride Month in general. Don't add us. All right? <laughs> you can, but you can say that for true. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we, we are doing our best. Oh man, it's so. True words have never been spoken, but we're going to end this one on a really interesting one, and one that I've been really looking forward to talking about. Yes, we are talking about the Queen of Spades herself, Shayna Baszler. We're going to be talking about her uh, her MMA career. We're going to be talking about her eventual appearance in Stardom, to then ended up being in the May Young Classic, and her and her absolute tear in NXT. Before we start and ask the eternal question, why the fuck is she not women's champion and has not been women's champion in the main roster? <laughs> All that is coming on the next episode. But until then, I have been Sam. This has been Dan and Reardon, and you've been listening to the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. We will see you, as always, on the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.